Well, yes, but it's, uh, uh, the spaceship's good. You're, so, you're it's fecund all... at the moment, aren't you? <laughs> well, I've, the spaceships were a way of um, fecunding myself out of a little um, trough of uncreativeness. Because um, I've, I've been struggling to make headway with a couple of commissions. Um, and sometimes it's just nice to do something completely different. So I I started that page of little tiny spaceships just by doing three of them and recording it as a little time lapse, just as something to stick on uh, on Twitter. And then I thought, oh, do you know, I'll, I'll carry on. So there, there ended up being 150 of them in the end. But um, but yeah, I really like the way it came out, and lots of people seem to uh, seem to like it, and they've been asking about uh, if it's going to be available as a print or uh, as fabric for pajamas or a onesie or wallpaper, wrapping paper. So yeah, but um, so yeah, I'm quite happy. That. We talked um, a couple of weeks ago when we met about um, doing some stuff together, didn't we? Basically, um, you printing some of my work when you get your little print shop set up so i've i've kind of done a bit of work this week and last weekend getting a new logo together and designing some stickers and badges and things really trying to get kind of a bit of a a brand for this northern boy so that's occupied a lot of my week really um but it's gone quite well so i've got a a new logo and um just masses of orange going on really everywhere which seems to work yeah it looks great I've, I've only seen it on well you you show me um, stuff over email and uh, but I've seen it now on Instagram it looks yeah smart really it just says you really well uh, yeah I mean, it's, it's a weird one because it's <clears throat> it's a logo for my particular brand of illustration um, you know rather than a logo for a you know a shiny designer or web company or anything like that so it's you know purposefully slightly lo-fi looking yeah but um yeah well, i think it works all right yeah you've done done a good job there rob i think it's spot on and um, thank you very much uh yeah i look forward to um seeing some uh, some products going out there so yeah, yeah. i i um uh i'm coming to the end of a couple of big projects and my next big project is eddie press uh, yep. which is going to be a little sort of printing publishing house and um, Mr Turpin's going to be my first client so um, I need to pull my finger out and get on with it <laughs> Not at all, my tweet to you wasn't, wasn't uh, a kick up the backside <laughs> Well it, it is, just, uh... I know it's good no it's good and I because I, I owe you some uh, some documentation don't I so yeah or a proposal at least and uh, yeah so I'm excited and it's going to be something that I'm you know really really up for um, Cool so, Yeah it's, it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be brilliant. Um, so, yeah, what have I been doing in work? I've just been uh, still just getting these websites. I had a big meeting on Tuesday going through all the content. It's a, it's a big site, so um, for me anyway. And it's quite complicated. So, um, yeah, I've just been signing that off and just lining up work for the future. Um, my other branding, my Soundwave thing has kicked off again because uh, – person that I'm doing that for has been away uh, in America and Canada and all sorts of places so that's now back on the card so I'm actually dealing cool. with a printer Rob I'm you know so, yeah, I'm getting touching some uh, touching some materials and uh, nice yes and I'm going to I'm using this local letterpress people so I'm excited yeah that's um, good <clears throat> yeah. nice to keep it local yeah it's in Bazinstiki as they call it uh, yes, of course. Uh, yeah, no. So Twinned with Luga Baruga. Yeah, I've, got, I've mentioned them before, Licorice Press, but uh, yeah. I'd definitely look at them on Instagram because they're really active and um, they produce lots of lovely, lovely work. They're very helpful and um, really nice people there. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting that up and running. Um, what else is going on? Um, yeah, that's it, really. Uh, busy, busy. Uh, well, welcome to uh, North v South, episode 21 of our uh, podcast about but not about design um last week's was very much not about design so we'll kind of touch on design a bit more this week i think uh looking forward to it. episode 21 already yeah how did you enjoy last episode because I, I, I when i when i when i was recording it i i i was of the impression that i had absolutely no idea what was going on but um 
Well, I thought it, I thought it was quite good. I thought it was it's, interesting, and um, and uh, yeah, there, there was some weird interference at the end, though. Did you yes, know? it was very strange. That uh, I don't know where that was coming from. Um, but yeah, last week was was good. I always find it a bit uh, off-putting when it's just me talking a lot. Uh, so I might just let you talk for the rest of it. Well, I think my well, I think we're going to do that as a regular thing, aren't we? Where we both yes. pick up a, a subject. And I apologise for my tiptoeing dog at the moment, who is um, trapped between two closed doors. So it's just going backwards and forwards, like which um, which one is that? Like a Robot Wars, um, which is back. Robot Wars is back. It is, isn't it? I love Robot Wars. Um, yeah, uh, it's Bingo. Of course, yeah. he's never more than two feet away from me. Bless him. Uh, no, so. Um, uh, yeah, I can't themes. Remember. Yeah, themes. themes. So the next theme is um, well, it's been a hundred years since the song, and uh, I've got some news items about that anyway. But um, I thought maybe I'd do talk about Frank and, uh, and the project that I did because I've talked That'd about it really a little good. bit. But um, I thought it might be interesting. Yeah, I will never tire of hearing about that. Yeah, so uh, that will be next month. Um, we've got book of the month this week. Did you? Finish we have. It? You, fin- you finally finished the book. I did. We're a day late today as well, everyone, so we apologise for that. Yeah, which is very grateful. I've got to say, actually, I won't say it. Um, I was going to say the book, way bigger than I remembered. Yeah. I just, I wonder if I had a different edition without a lot of the the bits in it or something. I do not remember it being, what is it, 400 pages long. I was, I'm not sure I read. I was most surprised. I, I think I read it in comic form. Was it released yeah. in comic form? In like, it was, yeah, originally. It was, where, it when was, I read yeah. it at school, and um, I'm not sure I finished it. Yeah. So that's why it felt to me, it felt like it was going on forever. Mm. Um, yeah, well, we'll get on to that. But yeah, we so this week's, uh, this month's book of the month was uh, Watchmen. Um, so if you've read it recently or you know of it, then it's coming up. I don't know why I need to say that. No, but it's good. It makes it sound like a radio show. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, um, well, let's catch up with some news, because we haven't done news for a couple of weeks. Um, what have you What have you got on your horizons? What have you been looking at? Uh, Colossal, which is a website I regularly look at, um, which is kind of a, you know, one of these curated, designy art websites, uh, has got a, a brilliant thing on it this week, which is a 3D printed zoetrope. Um, and so it's kind of this semi-transparent organic looking shape which spins and then light is projected onto it and it creates uh, moving images of people uh, kind of dancing and walking I've never seen anything quite like it it's really, it's a little bit like I guess, you see those um, kind of LED lights that I don't know, they spin or something and they give the impression of an image. So I guess it's a, a little bit like that. But um, it's a really beautiful thing. It's by a Japanese um, multimedia artist called Akinori Goto. Uh, and it's, yeah, really pretty. It's called, um, what is it called? I don't even know what it's called. No, I don't know what it's called. But it's lovely. 3D printed light-based zoetrope. <laughs> I do like I do like a zoetrope. Well, I haven't even looked at the film yet, but I won't I won't click on the link because I don't know. Well, if it's, it's got, got it's sound. got some, no, it hasn't. It's got some uh, it's got some gifs, so you can uh, you can click on it at will. I love a gif. I love a gif. A gif, yeah. <laughs> or a sif, sillip bang. Um, <laughs> wow, it's amazing. Yeah, fab, very clever. Um, my bit of news. Uh, Carrying on the First World War, um, I, I won't call them celebrations, but um, yeah. uh, centenary. Uh, uh, the the news was full of uh, last when was it last Thursday or so um, the the hundred years um, anniversary of the beginning of the Battle of Somme. The Somme. Um, a lot of um, young gentlemen dressed in First World War army gear started appearing in towns up and down the length of the country. Um, not talking to people, interacting with them. If people came up to them, I saw them on the new, you know the local news mm. here, uh, where you know they would hug or um, 
or smile at them or whatever. But they were they were more like just actors pretending to be. I don't know. They were just waiting for something. Um, and they were going about their business, um, eating food, smoking, kind of the things that young lads would have been doing a hundred years ago. <clears throat> and um, uh, I, I, what was interesting about it was that the new, none of the news um, channels really knew what was going on. They just thought it was some kind of local government thing. But it, it turns out it was um, it was an art installation organised by Jeremy Della, and it was called "We're Here Because We're Here," named after the old. Um, marching song and uh, it yep. just was it just the tone and the um, uh, the way it was executed and the sort of the gorilla sense of it and, you know when, that nobody really knew where these people mm. came from the ghostliness of it I just thought was spot on um, I'm not a big fan of the whole sort of centenary um, you know dredging up the memories where we get the same trench archives over and over again and yeah. the waste of life and all that kind of thing. But this was just spot on, I thought. It really was. I, I couldn't agree more. I cried several times every time it came on the telly, pretty much. It was it was absolutely remarkable. I think it's one of the most moving pieces of public art I've ever seen. Yeah. Did, you, did you see any? Did you, did you... I didn't. I wasn't in London. Um, but weirdly... Like you say, uh, it kind of crept up on people without without them knowing the story behind it. And I kind of saw bits on Instagram and Twitter. And as the the day wore on, obviously there was more and more of it. Um, and then it kind of, you know, it was, there was more of it on the news. Um, so it was strange to see it sort of play out like it did. Did you see the, the end bit where they all, a lot of them gathered at Waterloo and sang? No, not at all. No, and I then. And then uh, it was, I think it was Old Lang Syne they sang. Um, and then the end note, they screamed. And really? then stopped. And then stopped. And it just absolutely killed me. It was, it was just stunning. I, did, I, I saw that it was an art installation on the day later on when they announced mm. it. But I didn't realise it was Jeremy Della. And I have seen his work before. And I can't remember where. I put it in the notes. And I, um, yeah. I think I saw it on an art show. On um, He... It's just a br- just really fascinating guy. He did like a, a thing with a brass band where they were doing drum and bass. Um, yeah. So he went up north and got like you know the old brass bands from the mining towns and they were playing, but they were playing like really really techno drum and bass stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, he did the he did the Battle of Orgreave as well. Yes, I saw that. Oh, I didn't know that was him. Yeah, so but, yeah. Um, on Wikipedia, there's a brilliant line where it says, "In 1993, while his parents were on holiday, uh, he was 27, still living at home. He secretly used the family home for an exhibition called Open Bedroom." <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just amazing, and uh, yeah, I, I I I applaud him massively. He he was a triumph. It really was. Yeah, I wrote a chuffing, ruddy triumph. Yep, damn right. Um, Remarkable. Yeah. Over to me for some lighter nostalgia. Yeah. Uh, Lego, Lego and nostalgia. We all love a bit of Lego. Oh, we haven't mentioned, have we? That the theme for this for today <laughs> yeah, is we haven't. Well, yeah, nostalgia. nostalgia. And we'll be mm. talking about that a bit later. But yeah, a lot of our news items are nostalgia based. Yes. Uh, so there's a new Lego kit coming out, and it's um, it's a VW Beetle with really? a kind of a California surf theme. Really. So it's got a, it's got a cool box on the roof rack and a surfboard. Oh. Uh, and some bottles of beer and stuff. Um, I've got the camper said, van, actually. Yeah, I, I remember you getting that. I think you got that while we worked together. Yeah, my daughter um, destroyed it, and I've, I haven't got the instructions there in the loft, <laughs> so it's in pieces. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but, yeah, this, this, the Beatles, an absolute cracker of a, of a model. They've really kind of nailed the, the kind of charm of it. They, they've, uh, there's, there's a few kind of bespoke pieces in there that you know are only for this model to kind of make sure they get all the you know some of the curves right and things but uh, it's really nice the you know the boot opens and there's the little air-cooled engine and stuff it's really nice that lego do some fantastic stuff these days yeah i think i think that they um i think what they've done here yeah because there's a the, like the wheel arches are definitely custom pieces mm. aren't they i like to see as little custom pieces as possible but they yeah the, absolutely um, 
what I like about it is that it's modelled on the camper van. It's obviously the same scale because the chairs yeah. look the same to me and the wing mirrors and everything. So it would go along as a companion piece because it doesn't look too bubbly. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I like the look of it. looks good. Um, they have done them historically, and I think this is where – this is a really excellent example of nostalgia that we've – We've kind of because the Lego they call these the design range I think and but they have done um, these for the last twenty years or so. It's just that they because they're limit they're limited editions. They don't you know they don't stick around very long. So they yeah. have done like uh, I think they I don't know if they've done a Spitfire, but they've definitely done sop with camels and yeah. all sorts before. Um, we bought my father in law the. Um, the sock with camel, the new one that came out about two years ago, and it mm-hmm. is f- absolutely fantastic. Yeah, uh, Alec, my brother-in-law, built it with him, and and uh, yeah, it's, they are brilliant. Those design models. I think there's yeah. a is there a Mini Cooper one out that I came out last is, year? Yeah. So yeah. They, they do they do one every year, don't they? Yeah. Um, but I wonder um, what, wonder what will be the next one. Yeah. Uh, Lego's press release actually says this model has been designed to provide a challenging and rewarding building experience. With a touch of nostalgia. <laughs> uh, uh, how, many pe- how many people? Oh, it's, it's 1,167, 11, yeah. is it? Okay. So that's about, yeah. I'd, I'd say that's about a five or six hour build, probably. Something yeah. like that many pieces. Yeah. I've got a, uh, yeah, I've got a, um, the X-Wing that I was given by, by um, my sister-in-law and her husband. Christmas, oh, yeah. which is a ridiculous present. That's a ridiculously generous. <laughs> very they are, nice. They are yeah. so generous. So you know, I got a package from them in the week. Uh, I think it was beginning of la- uh, end of last week, and it was the cuckoo book and um, a set of those Faber books that we were talking about. The poets. Oh wow! Yeah, the Thomas uh, okay. book. Uh, how, okay, they must have listened to the show. Yeah, just how generous and lovely is that? Is very generous and lovely. Yeah, special people they are. Yeah. Oh, nostalgia. Um, so my, <laughs> so my, 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 have you, is that the end of that story? I'm so That's the end of that story. Yes. In over everything. It is. No, no, no. You. Here's, here's when nostalgia goes horribly wrong. Um, the Guardian continue their, uh, especially Charles Arthur of the Guardian technology department. Um, although he doesn't write for them anymore, but when he crops up, he's always sticking the dagger in Blackberry. Um, yeah. but, but they've dropped their classic smartphone keyboard. Um, and I think we really are seeing the death knell. It's been going on an awfully long time for a technology that got trapped in the uh, in the searchlight, as it were, and, mm. and, and and didn't manage to move on. Um, and it really is an example of a company that um, is in its death throes. Is it? I guess you would um, imagine, sir. And uh, yeah, so dropping its what it became, what you know, what it was became famous for, which was a hard physical keyboard. Um, it must be going away soon, um, but it's it's not sad because they were always horrible objects. But um, it's, def- it's just very interesting that Apple were on that point in 1987, um, but they had they had enough products to pull them through. But I just don't think BlackBerry do, do they? Uh, I don't think so. I imagine they're going to go the same way as Nokia. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not even sure where Nokia are. Now are they have they reinvented themselves this week? No, probably. They're, no, they're wind, they're, the Windows Phone is a dodo, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's bizarre. It's yeah. uh, amazing how such sort of almost ubiquitous technology like that can just very, very quickly find itself on the verge of being obsolete, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It didn't last a lo- long at all, did it? It wasn't like. No. I guess fax machines are still going, aren't they? I can't think of another brand that has gone away so dramatically. No. Um, there we go. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, it became so popular that it was a verb, wasn't it? You know. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, what, what's your next up on your list? My we've got a lot next of news bit here, haven't we? is uh, well, we've got a few bits and pieces, haven't we? Is um, the Brand Museum. Um, which I didn't know existed, existed, but London's Museum of Brands, yeah, uh, which is in Labrock Grove. I think it moved there earlier this year. Um, and it's a it's a perfect little it'd be a perfect little day out to, to wallow in some design nostalgia um, because it's got a, a a range of exhibits, sort of you know, covering the last sort of couple of hundred years of 
of branding and design branding and packaging um and the I, I found it on it's nice that uh, and the pictures on there of the, kind of the old packs and stuff are just are just wonderful um you know those those kind of uh tins of sort of crackers that you'd you know you your nan would have been keeping bits and pieces in down by the side of the sofa or um uh you know black treacle tins and oxo you know kind of all those classics of of sort of british food packaging uh in particular uh cadbury's brown trees and stuff um but yeah i I didn't even i'd never even heard of it yeah no i i had because i've done some research into it and also when i was doing the first world war frank thing i did quite a lot of packaging stuff and theirs was the site that i found quite a lot of the old chocolates and things like that but um, yeah, I think it's. I might be wrong here, but I think it's a one-man kind of show, and yeah. uh, it's his kind of collection that is being put together. But I, I haven't read into it for a long time. But it, it just has some brilliant stuff. They're always on the news or any any kind of documentary that has that kind of retro feel. You know those. Yes. They, they've had food, where they food dress, programs. They dress, or yeah, or they dress families up in fifties, sixties, seventies, and yeah. make them live like. How we used to live, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, the, the nostalgic ones on BBC Two. Yeah. Um, that. But yeah, interesting looking. Place. Yeah, I'd like to go along and have a look. I think it could be a good like couple of hours, couldn't it? Yeah. Um. Uh, I've got well, I've got one thing for all you designers out there. There's a competition running um, that I saw. I can't remember where I. I haven't put the um, where I saw this posted. Um, but it obviously came up in Twitter or something. But it's called um, the Brief Press. So if you go to that HTTP blah blah blah, the Brief Press, um, it's a brief poster competition. Um, it's asking for entries for design, and the brief is a brief, the word a brief, um, and uh, they're going to then put together ten ten entries will be chosen. And they're going to put like a little newspaper together and sell them. And any proceeds will then go to uh, the Europe Refugee Crisis Appeal, um, which is a very good uh, charity. And uh, so I, you know, if you've got a spare couple of hours, um, why not go on there and submit a design? I know we've been saying, <laughs> we've said in the past, you know, we're anti-design competition, but this is for a good cause and it's not trying to um, promote anything on the back of it. It's just saying, submit some great designs and let's put a newspaper out. And so I, uh, you know, I say that's a good thing. Yep. I agree completely. Um, it is interesting. Um, I like the way they've done this. You know, it's very much, you know, there's going to be a product, it's going to be sold, the, the proceeds go to the charity. Because quite often when you see, you know, horrific disasters happen in the world. You know, there's there's quite often a an outpouring of I don't know what it is, design guilt uh on social media and people designing posters to support, you know, whoever it is that's that's suffering. And I think it's it's really you know, we've talked a, a bit in the last few weeks about designers doing more to kind of make the world a better place. But I think in general that sort of thing is just a um, it's a bit of a selfish, sort of self-serving way to to try and help because they just so often seem to be kind of self-publicising things, you know? It's like, oh, I've designed this poster for the Japanese tsunami appeal. Um, and it's, it's an opportunity for them to kind of show off their design chops. Whereas, you know, a better thing to, for them to do would be to just donate something to an appeal um but this kind of nails both aspects of that i think you know it raises uh what do you call it um money yeah it raises money and um so i think it's it's a it's a good way of looking at it you sound um, like a drunk man then yeah as i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah i run out of words yeah but, uh but yeah it's a good there are one. only so many um i It'd got the, i got the brief wrong because i'm an idiot um it's refugee it's the word oh, I'm I sure I read it somewhere that it was brief but no. it'll be interesting to see what uh, you know if they're going to do this as a, a regular thing because obviously it says brief 
zero one. Yeah. The refugee, so you kind of I'm anticipating a brief zero two at some point. Yeah. It's um, like um it's there's twenty three days left, um and it's kind of an oversized A three sheet. Um, yeah. there's specs on there, it's pretty simple and you just email it to these people and it's being chosen by someone called Hort whether they're a, uh, an agency or just a single person oh it's Hort Hagelberger yes, from Berlin. Berlin so um, yeah anyway I, I just think you know if you if, if you want to get some work out there and you fancy su- submitting something that's going to try and raise some money then give it a go uh, anyway, I spent far too long on that. On another one, I'm just going to step in there, is um, a lady called Fiona O'Leary, who I'd never seen her work before, and I think she's r- really quite important. She's she's a product designer, and she's um, she's doing an MA in product design. But she kind of crosses the boundary to graphic design. She's, she's come up with this concept, um, and I think she's built like a proof-of-concept machine. I don't think it really yes. works. Um, it's called yes. Spector. But I think the potential for it is brilliant. Um, and I think the way she puts together presentations and stuff is really clever. Um, so Spector is like a like a, like a, a grabber. So if you've ever had one of those Pantone color um, samplers, um, you put it, uh, it's like a loop. You put it down on, on a piece of paper, push the button, and it scans in whatever font's underneath it. And it will then instantly tell you what that font is. But it will also grab colors. Um I think she's only got nine web fonts on there at the moment. So the product product doesn't really work because everything in print is not set in a web font. Yeah, but but like you say, it's like a proof of concept thing at the moment. Yeah, but I just think the idea is is so so interesting and so clever. Uh, The fact that you could take this this little uh, device out and find out information about things by just scanning it. Um, whether that's a typeface or not, it doesn't really matter, does it? You could do it on a film or... Yeah, know. and it picks colour and stuff and everything, Yeah, yeah, but you, you could expand that to anything, couldn't you? You know, what kind of food is this? Or what this, what has this, yeah. this, this food got in it? Um, yeah. That kind of thing, an, an analyzer of some sort. But um, I just thought it was really clever. And, uh, and it's a really interesting website to so just go and spend a few minutes looking at all the other ideas that she's had. She's got like a copy and paste thing that she's been working on, which is very I'll, bizarre. I'll have to have a look at her other stuff. I must admit, when I saw this, uh, what's it called again? Spectre. Um, Spectre. When I saw it at first, I was utterly underwhelmed for a couple of reasons. One, I thought it was a spoof. Uh, and two, I couldn't quite believe it hadn't been done already. Um, so I was like, I was a bit underwhelmed, but then obviously kind of looking at it is, you know, it is a great little idea. Um, but yeah, I will have to have a look at, um, her other stuff. She's obviously a very, uh, very clever lady. Yeah. Very clever. Um, that's my news, Rob. Got anything else? I have no more news. No more news. No, Um, no, I don't. Apparently they're making bathrooms now in a, in a new green color. Um, guacamole, (laughs) guacamole. (laughs) (laughs) so our subject this week is about nostalgia and even our book of the month is nostalgic uh, and actually challenges nostalgia in quite a heavy way um uh in such a heavy way that it destroys most of new york with an alien invasion but we'll come on to that later um i've written that nostalgia is like a round tree fruit pastel rub which in itself is is nostalgic but you gotta chew haven't you once you, once you get the itch, yeah. Um, no, no, don't chew the itch because that's just going to make uh, your skin complaint worse. I'm going to have to get you one of those collars that they put on dogs, I think, if you're trying to <laughs> chew your itch. That's only going to make my voice louder. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah I, I still haven't managed to remember the uh, quote about nostalgia. <laughs> Uh, I haven't. I didn't write it down, so I don't know where it came from. Yeah, we're writing down things to remember them, Rob. <laughs> yeah, oh, that'll be it. It'll be in a bloody notebook that I can't search. <laughs> Need a search tool for my field notes. Mm. That'll that'll be an index, wouldn't it? Or one of yeah, well, we could adapt as one of those Spectre things. Yeah. So yeah, we were talking last week about uh, what were we talking about last week, Rob? <laughs> We're talking about space last week. Yeah, but we were talking about the past and um, this whole uh, leaving Europe thing. 
I'm not going to mention that awful word that everyone uses all the time. Um, But uh, the fact that a lot of people voted for the return to um, a Britain that we're not quite sure it's there uh, leads us to the word nostalgia, which is actually quite a complicated word, isn't it? Um, Are you going to give me the kind of uh, Greco-Latin... breakdown of it no 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 you just you 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 had you found you did the uh, etymology of it <laughs> that, was a, that was a that was called a segue sorry yes uh, i did didn't i <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that completely uh it's because i did these notes earlier in the week because i was busy yeah i did mine um about 10 minutes ago <laughs> <laughs> uh yes the definition of nostalgia uh has roots in the words homecoming and pain. So for a long time, it was nostalgia meant extreme homesickness. Um, And it's actually, the description is of sometimes fatal medical condition expressing extreme homesickness. Um, That really is homesick, isn't it? If you're, if it's fatal. Yeah. Um, but I think it's only in the last sort of is it a hundred years or so, or maybe two hundred years that it's it's you know become to mean something else. Um, you know, typically viewed through rose-tinted spectacles, this kind of wistful, um, bucolic, idyllic um, sort of sometime in the past. It's 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 a dangerous drug isn't it to find yourself pulled in by nostalgia uh, especially with design uh, well no what i was trying to do is, is, is sort of connect it with with design that when design becomes nostalgic it, it's a very um narrow space that you occupy between being being co- uh, sort of copying things and being mawkish i don't know is that is that yeah the right word? I, th- I think it can it can serve a purpose can't it nostalgia because it can uh, you know, it can be an inspiration. It kind of, but it, it's very easy, I think, in design for if you're harking back to something too, too vividly, for it to become sort of a pastiche of something, um, and you end up adding nothing to to kind of the original form. Yeah. So the one that we were talking about was co-op. We we've mm. talked about it for a few weeks now. Now they, they've absolutely nailed it. Um, in terms of not making it look like it's from 1969 or whenever it came out, um, yep. but also bringing back the, the brand or the business back to the brand that had value in people's eyes. And that's when it can be a powerful thing. But if you're just talking about uh, it as a cultural reference, the problem with nostalgia is that memory is perception. It's, it's a ghost-like thing, isn't it? It's a perception of something that might not actually have happened. So if you're comparing that to something that is of the now, of the current, that even that could be argued as something that is is moves around, uh, is changeable. But if you're comparing the now back to something that everyone has different memories of, then you're never going to get um, something that's accurate, are you? And but you're not. Uh, sorry, but I think in some respects that's not the worst part of nostalgia because there is a tendency for people to hark back to an era that they've never experienced you know their memories are entirely um fictional or you know they're dependent on what they've been told or what they've seen um i think nostalgia would be a less dangerous thing if we were if we were simply inspired by our own memories even if those memories are you know constructs of experience and they're differing from person to person but you know going back to this uh, to the European thing um, and lots of people you know voting out because they want to return to this this pastoral wonderful England well most of them don't don't even remember the the time that they believe that was because they weren't around don't you think yeah I do I do um but why why are we caught up in nostalgia? What is it that draws us back to it? Well, I guess it's comforting, isn't it? Because it's knowable, whereas the future is unknowable and scary and full of things that you know we can't understand. So nostalgia is a, 
a comfort. And I, maybe maybe we hark back uh, and nostalgia becomes more important in times of, you know, particular upheaval or <clears throat> kind of social change. Um, I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe in, uh, in periods of history that were calm and stable and constant, maybe nostalgia wasn't a thing. Do you think, though, that... Um that us leaving the European Union was a, an act of nostalgia. Do you, do you honestly think that that's why most of the people who voted leave voted for a, a Britain that existed in their in a nostalgic past? Well, they were voting for a Britain that they were led to believe had existed, but it never really did, did it? You know, it was the the Daily Mail and the Express, uh, you know, pleading with people to vote to get their country back that was, you know, uh, promoting this this idea of a, an idyllic England. But do you think that would be borne out? Do you think that, you know, I mean, we're getting touching on politics a bit here, but when in when the uh, all the stats come out and we see really, you know, what the political affiliation of most people who voted out of Europe really was. Were they key Daily Mail and Express readers, which is to people in the UK as they're fairly right-wing um, publications? Um, because it has come out that Labour supporters um, voted en masse to leave. But where where was their drive coming from? What, what well, was I, I- Theirs was well. Was that an anti-immigrant? Then that isn't a, a I don't think thing. it was. I don't think that was an anti-immigration thing. I think for the Labour heartlands and the the kind of urban Labour areas, I think that was more uh, a kick against austerity and globalisation. And people thought that by voting against Europe, they were somehow voting against all that. They weren't, but again, you know, I think that's what they were led to believe. And you know. You know, in some of these areas in the, the sort of northeast and the northwest, where there's their industry has fallen apart, and there's, you know, they've just having to put up with ten, you know, five, ten years of austerity. Um, you know, they've got nothing, yeah. um, and they feel betrayed. So you'd vote for change, wouldn't you? Even if you didn't know what that change was going to result in, even if it, you know, perhaps went against your better instincts. If you've got nothing, you're going to vote for change. So in some ways, that is the antithesis of nostalgia, isn't it? Because I don't know what the opposite word is for nostalgia. Um, <coughs> but that is that is um, a positive, you know, that's voting for the future that might not happen, but it's a wish that it would happen. It's not returning to something that happened yeah. before. Because nostalgia, as we said yeah. at the beginning, was is homesickness. Um, but if you've never had a home, then you can't really be voting for that kind of... Thing. But I, I think that a lot of Middle England who complained about uh, immigration, uh, EU straight bananas, that whole kind of thing, they are voting. They were voting for a nostalgic sense of, of a past that never existed. I mean, you know, let's talk about bananas. Um, Pre nineteen forty five, you wouldn't have had a banana in this country. Yeah, uh, you know, you, I, I saw an avocado. The first time I saw avocado was in a bathroom. <laughs> but now now kids eating my, my yeah. daughter's eating avocado for breakfast you know yeah. it's um yeah we've lived we've lived in a land of opportunity for the last 30 years um and we're not heading back to a country that's in reality is is a good place but what what is it that's so warm and comforting about you know spangles and texan bars and uh you know the dandy every thursday or whatever it was um, what is so appealing to that? Is it a ch- is it the childhood? Um, is is that is that the dangerous part of nostalgia that we we're wishing back to a point when we had no res- we we had no responsibility? And the scratch mixing is Bingo doing his weird scratching. Yeah, it's very uh, good. So I apologise. Um, there must just be something about the way we remember that leads us only to remember in a certain way. Um, I'm going to go into very dangerous territory now. Um, 
You can talk about York, York City. <laughs> no, it's said about um, women and the pain of childbirth that they can't remember the specific emotional pain of childbirth because if they could, they'd never have any more kids. <laughs> and I, so there's something about our memories that, you know, I can't remember the pain of breaking my arm because maybe if I could remember how much it hurt every time I broke a limb, which I've done a few times, um, you know, maybe I'd never leave the house. So maybe there's something in our memories that that does uh, kind of bubble wrap everything. Um, well, well, going back to the child, the child thing, and my my um, my theory is that you know uh, most people have babies two or three years after their first, um, and it's at that point that you you know where you finally got four hours sleep that you look at each other and think oh isn't this lovely for that half hour moment and, uh, and then it's too late and you've got the second one on the way <laughs> and that's the danger isn't it that is a nostalgic uh, uh, reaction that's the danger of, um, the danger of nostalgia and, uh, but if you were in that you know that six months first bit of of, uh, uh, of parenthood there's absolutely no way I'd have gone outside you know as I say to Jess and she tells me not to tell people this you know just with a pair of bricks and uh <laughs> And a loud klaxon. <laughs> and it would be it would be all solved forever. Yeah. Um but maybe there is something in that. The way that we remember just just colours our perception of history. So let's shift this over to the design sort of the side of things. Um because yep. we've already trampled all over politics, which uh, I apologize for taking in that direction. But the um the uh, in design, we tend to we do have this nostalgic uh, pull because uh, well we've been talking about it recently, haven't we, with Johnson mm. one hundred uh, yep. and uh, all sorts of uh, retro things being dredged up again. Do you think that it hinders the development of um, or the hinders the development of design and um, uh, and technology, or do you think it's a good check to the relentless pace? Well, I guess there are there are different elements to that kind of design nostalgia, isn't there? Because there's things like uh, sort of Swiss modernism, um, and you know Muller Brockman, and you know that kind of um, nostalgia, which is very much kind of the basis of a lot of modern design. So if you hark back to that, then yes, it's a form of nostalgia, but it's also it's kind of a back to basics. It's uh, you're you're building something on very solid foundations in that way. Whereas if you're harking back to I don't know uh, something that is very much a sort of stylistic thing, like I don't know the psychedelia of the seventies or yeah, or sign Johnston written. or <laughs> sign, you know, sign written kind of yeah type yeah. So that's a very different thing. Um. Which I guess is you're in greater danger of just producing something that is sort of derivative or a pastiche, then, aren't you? But it's very hard to use something from yesteryear as a powerful statement of today. Uh, do you know what I mean? To to take something from the past mm. and and turn it into something that is uh, is powerful and thought provoking. Um, I'm thinking of the classic. Um, uh, keep calm and carry on poster. Yeah, that has that is just nostalgia to the nth degree, isn't it? That every yeah. single version of that um, is uh, is horrific <laughs> <laughs> and doesn't bring you know. And it's now it's like a comic sans of poster design, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, but I think one of the early ones of it was was it Ollie Moss who redged it up again. Um, but he did like carry on and freak out, and it was just the crown upside down, which is, is a be- beautiful version of it. Yeah, but it I, has been absolutely pummeled to death by people. Yeah, I, I think uh, there it. was a there was a couple who who discovered it, discovered the original in a kind of an archive of of British government posters, um, and started reproducing it. Um, probably, I guess, ten or. 10 or 12 years ago, maybe. And I think that's kind of where the where it suddenly became fashionable again was. But yeah, all the um, derivatives of it are, 
horrific. I did see one this week that which made me laugh though, that was just kind of ah ah. It was you know had the crown and everything, but just uh, kind of screams. <laughs> didn't, have any, didn't have any of the keep Garma Garrett just screams. <laughs> yeah, I think that one's been done to death. But um, you know, it just it, are you going to say anything positive about the future by using a poster from? You know, 1941 or whenever it, I don't know when it came out. But. You know, although I think poster design is perhaps one area of design where um, nostalgia can still be powerful because you can still, I think, some of those kind of wartime, uh, particularly kind of Russian posters, that, you know, there were such dramatic images. You see those sort of reused and referenced quite often. Um and I think those can still be quite a powerful thing, but they're not certainly not going to move design forward. Yeah. Well, talking about Russians going to war, we should move off of this now. Um, yeah. On to going to war with Russia. Um, yes. Do you want to introduce the book? You're probably a bit more fresh than I am on it. Uh, well, it's Watchmen um, by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, which was published in 86, I think. Um, or might have even been... It's 85 and 86 or 86 and 87 um, as a 12 part, I think it's 12 part um, comic series by DC Comics. Um, and I think most people probably know it these days as a, as a graphic novel. But I think when they published it, DC, um, a year or so later or two years later as a collected trade paperback, I think that was one of the first, I might be aware on this, I think it was one of the first times the term graphic novel had really been banded about i'm not sure that was the first graphic novel but it's certainly the first that kind of really had any sort of prominence yeah I, i'm 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 equally as um as shaky on the facts as you but i think definitely in terms of a u.s british style collection of uh, like a book um yeah. then yes uh, i think on the continent it's a far different story isn't it yes absolutely but yeah, um, as a, as a sort of kind of like us obsessed with blooming superheroes, then yes, it was the first anthology that was a continuous story all the way through, yeah. not not just lots of little episodes. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was the, it was this book. Um, it's it's set in a superhero world. Um, set in the future, but the near near distant future, not not far far in the future. Well, it was a near distant future in eighty five, but yeah. Now it's what year is it set in? I can't I think it's set in the eighties, I think, but yeah. just an alternate eighties. Yeah, so America won the Vietnam War. Uh, Nixon, Nixon is still, still president. Um, that uh, this class of human um, existed in the fifties and sixties, like a crime fighting um, superheroes. Uh, not necessarily with powers, did they? They were just like cosplay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they were so they were government agents, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, but they've been banished um, or banned, so they've been driven into the underground, and only one is still working, and his name is Rawsatch uh, after the blot, and for the reason. Well, he's he's working, you know, to his own agenda, isn't he? Whereas, yeah, the clown is still effectively a government agent. Uh, and I think Dr. Manhattan is, isn't as well, isn't he? He's still working for kind of, you know, the scientific community and doing yeah. business. But they're all, uh, some of them are um, kind of the second generation, aren't they, of um, of superheroes. So the, the kind of original superheroes in this alternate world were around in the 40s, um, the Minutemen. Um, and these are, predominantly kind of a second generation of them um in one case the the daughter of one of the originals yeah but by, um, the, by the time we reach them in the story they have been disbanded as well haven't they yes yeah yeah um i think it's i mean it's an incredibly complex book i mean it's so much more than the comic um i think even you know even to read a single uh episode of it you know would have been quite well i mean i never read it as a as a comic when i was a kid i only read it much later on but it must have blown your mind didn't it reading this as a you know compared to what else was out there at the time i'm not sure when i read it um 
uh, it was given to me, and I what I didn't. I'm not sure. I understand. I still don't think I understand where it's where it's uh, where it stands in the history of comic book making because I haven't read a huge amount of European um, graphic novels or yeah. whatever you want to call them. So, and I think this draws on that experience much more than any American or British comic would ever do. So, what Rob's uh, saying it, it, it uses um, it dips into other comics. Um, it uses different comic styles inside itself. It has novellas inside it. It has um, sort of comic-drawn documents, um, and it's it, it's it's more of a multimedia kind of collection of pages than a traditional comic that you'd have seen back in the day. Um, it, it's fairly formulaic, and I think purposefully so in the way that the panels are arranged. It doesn't doesn't reinvent our artistic panel layout does it it doesn't it's a it's a nine um a really strict nine panel grid but i think in some ways that was quite fresh in 1986 because that's more that's kind of harking back uh to the golden age of comics in the sort of 50s and 60s um kind of the steve ditko um style of comics um, so yeah, it was quite, I, it was quite even, novel. Yeah, I'm not even sure of the page format because I got it on uh, Comicsology, but I remember it, it's taller and thinner. It's not, it's not like ISO sized, is it? it um, yeah, it's a bit narrower than standard, I think. So it's like an American letter. Yeah. And this is nostalgic, isn't it? Because I don't <laughs> quite remember. But I remember thinking it was interesting um, and being a bit bored by passages back in the day. It didn't have enough action for me. But then I've yeah. never been a massive hero, uh, superhero fan. I much prefer real life or real weird stuff. Um, so, you know, I'm much more comfortable with, like, Sandman than I am yeah. with with this kind of gritty um, reality based in reality kind of universe um i found with this time around uh shall i give a little review yeah, yeah, yeah i yeah. found it overly serious uh a little bit pompous um the art is great but a little precise for my liking um i've just read league of extraordinary gentlemen and i've never read that mm-hmm. before and that art for me just um just blew the socks off this um, yeah. this, this one's very very uh, st- uh, very formal but what mm. I what I have realized, you know and I think everybody realizes it's the template for all modern comic books um, whether that's Mark Miller um, uh, I'm trying to think about other ones that I've read yeah, recently it, it, it very much the, I think in respect of giving superheroes a uh, a kind of a realistic setting and a realistic backstory and making them not the kind of 1950s Superman, but making them real people with problems and emotional needs and, uh, you know, that kind of depth to them. Yeah, yeah. They're all whiny you know, and bit, bitter and twisted and there's not one likeable character in the entire book. No, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's um, so it true. is rather it is rather draining when you read it. Um but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it was great to reread, um, and I enjoyed the written bits, uh, the the sort of novelly bits, and the comic that is inside it, which is a kind of like a buccaneer oh, pirate, black, pirate thing, black freighter, yeah, which is just brilliant. I just but it's re- interesting. I was I was reading today about why they wanted to put this comic in, um, but why they chose pirates. It's because in the, obviously the world of the Watchmen, kids are growing up in a world that has superheroes, so they wouldn't read superhero comics. Right. So they made it a pirate comic because that's <laughs> the kind of escapism that kids in a superhero world would want. Yeah. Um, but for me, reading it makes me want to read other stuff that I loved. Um, so I want to go back and reread Zenith from 2000 AD. Do you remember Zenith? Was yeah, that- uh, only a little bit. He was like a sort of Morrissey style. Uh- Foppish superhero couldn't be bothered. Is yeah, right? he was a he was a pop star. Yeah, uh, and and again, he was the the son of superhero parents from the fifties. Was he in Deadline mm-hmm. or two thousand AD? Two thousand AD, right? Um, but he again, he was the the son of a, a previous generation of superheroes, and some of the other people were as well. 
and you know some of the other superheroes were drunks or had retired so it very much i'm not sure if it was directly influenced by the watchmen because they they came out at almost exactly the same time um but yeah i really want to go back and reread zenith now because i think i only probably read the first story of that before i stopped reading 2000 ad and i think he was in it for you know five or six seasons worth of stuff so yeah i'd uh, like to read that I, I i've read quite a bit about it recently just because i've been uh, reading a lot more comics um, yeah but I, I think that this book is um I, I sensed an awful lot of anger in the writing of it or ju- or just sort of sort of slightly boiling rage um from alan moore in the writing um that you don't detect in something like from hell um, but it's you see if you feel a, a similar vein there of just this bleakness of humanity of just how yeah. useless they are, um, which is probably you know fairly right. Um, but the other, th- yeah, it's just it is a phenomenal book. If you haven't read it, I would definitely recommend it. Um, I think it's I think it loses focus um, halfway through, not half, maybe three quarters of the way through. Um, yeah. The whole the whole um, bit when they go to the Arctic and it's like a classic Superman baddie lair. I quite um, like that bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But there again, I'm a I, you know I love superhero comics. Right. I, you know I love the the idea of superheroes. And I, I I love the idea of this kind of modern superhero with a a real life and stuff. But yeah, I've always been fascinated by superheroes. It's got a um, really interesting colour palette to it. Um, yeah. It's very the, uh, pastely. Uh, there's not really a huge amount of bolds or uh, single, you know, colour shades. It does it does shift through through shades, but I'm just whizzing through it as, like, little thumbnails. It um, is curious. I mean, I this isn't the type of comic that I would have picked up and thought, God, I love the art in that. Because it, to me, it's a very American looking comic yeah, whereas which is, I which is bizarre isn't it because it's British two, two Brits yeah that went to America broke yeah. out of the 2000 AD mould and made this extraordinary yeah. and, and the colourist the colourist is a Brit as well right um, but what's amazing is that it was British built but so Amer- so American feeling and the language was so American and the look was so American that yeah. that was the formula for all future British comic making um you know in the superhero mold and yeah it, and it still is to some extent isn't it um it, it, it has absolutely set not just the standard but uh it's almost created a new superhero universe hasn't it of yeah of like the old realism and, and um i mean kind of generally that's you know it is a format for superheroes now to have a you know a life and problems vulnerability yeah yes definitely um and you see it in the in the films that are out now um i haven't seen the latest dc batman superman thing but you know that was very dark and gritty right that's the cinema yes (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i love I love Watchmen. What should um, you What should you read after you've read? If you were just getting into comics and you went and read the Watchmen, you might find it quite. It's quite a um, a heavy meal, isn't it? It's, it it's is a bit of a beef stroganoff. What What would well, you go for for a I, light mango sorbet afterwards? God, I don't know. I was gonna say mango. Sorbet. It's almost like it's um, <laughs> it's almost like it's companion piece because it came out of the, the same year. Is um, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns? Yes. Which I think um, is, a, is a much brighter... What? Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> well, I just think it's funnier and... It is funny. Uh, and uh, more joyful and more... It's more... It more revels in the superhero genre than this does. This doesn't say good things about the superhero genre. Um, it doesn't say good things about anything, really. No. It's quite... Um, it is bleak. It is bleak, yes. Um, whereas I think, yeah, the Dark Knight is something else entirely. Uh, it's much more focused on a single character, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but maybe yeah, that's maybe a really should... good. That's a really good idea to say that. Um, but but maybe you should go and um, just go and dig out um, a trade paperback of the Ballad of Halo Jones. <laughs> oh, what a book! I would. Uh, I loved Halo Jones. <laughs> me too. Yes. Can you, oh. 
Yeah, I, I'm going to read. I'm going to read the Hurley yeah. Jones. Yeah, that is a brilliant comic book. Yeah, that's got everything that you like in it, isn't it? It's fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to have to reread that. Yeah, it's on my um, list. So, so the thing is, so Dark Knight Returns would be a good companion piece to read that with that. Um, if you wanted a bit more of taste of British kind of um, silliness that's superhero led, then maybe Dr. and Quinch. Oh yes, I uh, love them. I love comics, but I'm not by any means a comic geek. No, I, I love it. With, I love the Brits mixing it up in in, in America. I, I'd yeah. go. I'd read Preacher. I've just, I've just been reading that. I'd, I'd go on to that because that I is very again, nearly. I nearly bought that the other day. Yeah, again, it's it's the Brits doing American in a kind of faux British way, um, yeah. and they seem well, to nail it. In that uh, 2000 AD documentary, Future Shocks, that we both watched a few weeks back, you know, a lot of these comics and the Brits working in America came out of that documentary about because 2008 just treated them all so badly yeah that they all buggered off to America and worked for DC and Marvel and uh, yeah the Vertigo and Vertigo <clears throat> I yeah. think I think Preachers of Vertigo yeah um, publication but um, they, if you want to see something that is you know they've just taken the um, the, the boxing gloves off and they're just bare knuckle fighting and uh, biting each other's throats out then Preacher is is the one and uh, and the series on um, Amazon Prime at the moment is is quality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not it's not the comic book though. If you've read the comic book, don't expect the comic book. Um, but we should go on to pies because I think that's our we're, we're well well over time. And um, we should. My wife's waiting for me to cook. So uh, do you want to go first? Yeah, I've got a um. I, I've been a, a lazy boy. I've got a pie minster. Uh, right. Minister, I should say. Not pie <coughs> mi- I thought it was pie minster, but it's pie minister. Uh, so prime minister um free ranger a chicken leek ham and thyme pie it's like a a puff pastry uh, scotch pie style um pastry is really good it's been sitting here a while i'm going in you do that we've got very similar pies this week i've got a chicken and ham oh pie with a puff pastry type thing uh are you uh, are you washing yours down with anything? Mm. Yeah, it's a Ringwood Brewery Old Thumper. Nice. It was really it good. Got... I finished yeah. it ages ago. It's a Friday <laughs> night. I've had yeah. builders here all week. I need more than a drink of beer. <laughs> the pie is. I have to say, Pie Minister. They make amazing pies. This is really good. Um, and there's a deal on in Waitrose at the moment. Two for six quid. Marvellous. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I uh, really like that. I'm going to give that a seven. bit salty, Ooh. but, um, yeah, they make cracking pies. Good. What about yours? Uh, I can't remember what brand of pie mine is. Right. Um, but I got it from Tuppers of Isleworth. Well, actually, my wife got it from Tuppers of Isleworth for me. Where, where's that uh, Isleworth? She's uh, uh, a butcher's in Isleworth. Um, I, uh, it's St. John's Road. Isleworth. I couldn't tell you any more than that. Uh, and it's a chicken and ham pie. Um, puff pastry again. Um, so let me just have a little. Actually, that's not bad at all. I was a bit, um, I hesitate to use the word disappointed in the look of it because it kind of came pre-packed in cellophane and everything, which is never a sign of a good pie, I don't think. But it's actually really good. The pastry is lovely and crisp. Nice and creamy. Uh, and I'm washing it down with an M&S, Marks & Spencer's cider. Uh, Devon Farmhouse Cider with elderflower infusion. Mm, well, it's not bad. It's got a bit... It's, it's nice. It's a, a tad too sweet. But it's it's also warmed up a bit now, so it was it was nice when it was straight out of the fridge. I think that's the problem with uh, mass-produced ciders, isn't it? They just have a little bit too much sugar. Yeah. I like a scrumpy, like, you know, something that would strip paint off. Yeah, yeah, it's not not my cup. My mum kind of weaned me on woodpecker cider, so <laughs> I, t- I tend to go for the sweeter stuff. Yeah, uh, but the pie's good. A pie will also get a seven point two. <laughs> You're not allowed to point it. Are we not? No. <laughs> when did you bring that rule in? <laughs> We're rounding off. Okay, it's a seven then. <laughs> so two sevens. <laughs> Uh, yeah. not, not a bad week um, thank no. you for bearing with us while we uh, spluttered our way through um, <clears throat> a very nostalgic week um, next week 
we're not going to be recording. We are going to do the week after, aren't we, Rob? Yes. Because I'm uh, not going to get time early and you're um, doing secret, secret things. So yep. uh, we will see you the week after. Um, and we wish you good tidings and a lovely weekend. And uh, yes. Rob, are you working this weekend? Uh, I've got a wedding tomorrow. Right. Yeah, and then I'll be doing a bit of Drink. drawing and stuff for the rest of the weekend. Um, but yes, there will be alcohol involved, I'm sure. Good. Um, yeah, so I wish you and Steph all the best uh, for tomorrow and have a lovely weekend. Same to you. And uh, I will be in touch next week about printing. Cool. I'll look <laughs> and, forward uh, to it. Yeah, and thanks for listening and um, I'll see you soon. Cheerio, folks. Bye. 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 Sequence stars were no good for making carbon in this range.